You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about BuildBook, who in addition to sponsoring this episode, they've developed a program to help all of you during this extremely difficult time. If you don't know what they do, they offer a tool that funnels all the conversations and decisions that occur between you, your team, and your client before, during, and after projects into one place and made it dead simple to use. They've taken something that is chaotic for most of you, like staying on top of all the messages you're getting over text, phone calls, job site conversations, you name it, and brought it into one channel that's simple for anyone on your team to use. Look, I don't need to tell you guys this, but good, clear communication with your clients and team is more critical now than it has ever been. BuildBook knows how important this is for you as well, but also knows the strain this crisis is having on your business. So they're offering their software to you for free. Yes, you heard that correctly. To help you get through this unprecedented time, BuildBook has put together a program to provide you with some free resources, including their software. It's an amazing opportunity that I strongly encourage you to take advantage of. So hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777. That's one word, BUILDBOOK. They'll immediately send you a link that brings you directly to the page to sign up. There are no strings attached. It's just their way of doing what they can to support your business. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK, one word, to 33777 to get your free account. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. I am excited because today is the first episode of a new show that we're going to have here called Building a Family Business. And I'm excited about this one because we have several generations and decades of experience uh, in family dynamics, transitioning the business, um, moving through, I guess, different elements throughout the construction space. And um, also, uh, I'll have basically my my dad and my uncle here with me. And so we'll just kind of get to uh, go off script a little bit and talk about some fun stuff. But I think that this show is going to be really valuable for you guys. We'll be able to share a lot of things that uh, our family has gone through. And my goal is going to be to kind of extract the knowledge here from uh, from Wes and Brooks who are joined uh, joining me today. So um, Wes, Brooks, welcome to the show. How's it going today? It's going great. Thanks, Wes. Going well. Thanks, man. Yeah. And so uh, I figured a good way to kick things off is kind of introduce you guys and uh, let our audience basically uh, know who you are and kind of what your background is and what your history is and 
Um, a lot of times here on Builder Funnel Radio, we start with how you got into the construction space. So, uh, Brooks, let's start with you. How did uh, how did you get involved in all of this? Well, it was kind of interesting. The um, I got started back in boy when I was I think fourteen, and I was old enough to actually scrap lots, and that was one of my first jobs was scrapping lots. And I have some very distinct memories of picking lumber out of the frozen ground and uh, throwing them in the back of the truck and and progressed from that to uh, learning how to do foundations, do framing, and just worked my way up through a lot of different positions within the construction business and ended up owning and operating our own construction business um, up until the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and just for some context too, so you started when you were 14. So why were you scrapping lots, you know, kind of give the context there, you know, why, why that versus something else, you know? <laughs> well, I think scrapping lots, because that's something you can do with relatively little skill. It's, you know, you can, someone can point and say, go to that pile, pick up that lumber, put it in the truck and someone will drive it away to the dump. And I think that's how, uh, and I was, I like to earn money. So I was excited to try to get, get some work, do something. And, you, you know, I'm 55. so. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't work until you were 15 or 16 for somebody else. So that was something I could do along with having a paper route. Um, so that's, yeah. that's why I started scrapping lots and, you know, I didn't know anything at the time. Sure. Yeah. And how about you, Wes? How did you, you get into this mess as well? <laughs> uh, good question. So I'm five years older than Brooks. So when he was 14, I was 19. So my introduction to working in construction was a little bit different than Brooks's, but not too much different. I started, uh, our grandfather was a builder, of course, and he liked to dump large piles of beauty bark on lots where he had just completed a house. And that was his idea of landscaping at that time, which would have been in the what late 60s, early 70s. So my sisters and I would go out uh, and face probably 20, 30 yards of bark and get out our shovels and start spreading that bark. So we do that on weekends. So that was one of my first introductions. The other one was like rucks. I did scrap lots. I think I have stronger memories of cleaning out houses or scrapping them out to get them ready for uh, typically for carpet and cabinets and things like that. So we're going through and just pulling out construction debris and vacuuming out, vacuuming out the, uh, the, the ducts and so on. And uh, so that was my second introduction to construction, I guess, just, you know, doing the grunt labor work that needed to be done around the construction site and slowly getting exposed to, to other parts of the, the business. Um, yeah. And you said uh, it was your grandfather. Was he the one then that started the, the original business that's kind of morphed into what it is today? Well, not, not totally. No. So, and Brooks is better on the history than I am. Uh, but certainly our grandfather's name was Cecil and Cecil was introduced to the business by his uh, father-in-law who was already in the construction space in the, in the Seattle area. And so that's how Cecil got into the business. Cecil then brought his son into the business, Monty, who's our father. And, um, and then of course we, we moved into the business aspect as well. And our sisters were certainly involved in that building process um, so one of the, the, actually one of the neat things that, that dad did to introduce us to the business was 
back in the 70s, we were looking at college. And so there's five kids in the family. So a lot of kids. And they all had to go to college. And we we're in the midst of what started out as the Boeing downturn in 1970. And so market had been pretty bad, uh, slowly grinding our way out of that. And so the only way to make money for college at that time, dad decided we should start building houses on our own. So all five of the kids uh, built houses. We all built spec houses. Uh, I framed my first house when I was 17. And basically we we're thrown out on a lot and here's a, <laughs> here's a building permit and here's someone to help uh, train you a little bit, kind of a lead foreman. And he would show us what to do every day. Then we would do it. And then he'd come back at the end of the day and say, Mm, not so good. Uh, we're going to have to rework that. And then uh, we would fix it and move on. So that's really how we, we learned the building business specifically was that day-to-day -day process over a number of summers, right, Brooks? It was quite a few summers. I think it was over maybe almost 10 summers, you know, from start to finish, you know, from the very first house that you guys built probably in 76. And we were and we did it up until 85, you know, off depending on who was around um, to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that first house, I think, sold for, was it 39,000 or something? Just a little <laughs> something. A little rectangle, just a little three bedroom, one and a half bath box. That was a 960 plan. Yeah, it was the 960 plan. 160 yeah. square feet. Yeah. Build a few of those. Well, yeah. Yeah. We did. <laughs> so we soon graduated to houses that were slightly over a thousand square feet. Yeah, we got to the, the 1210 plan, a famous That's right. Yeah, the 1210, that was a that was a killer plan. <laughs> and so so basically it started with you said Cecil's father in law, and then it was yeah, Cecil. That was, that was and then eight, yeah, Brooks, yeah. maybe guide us through a little bit of the like back to the beginning and guide us through current just to give some context. Sure. Yeah, the so H. H. Benson was our great-grandfather on our grandmother's side. So Cecil's wife, Dorothy, was a Benton. And he came out with Great Northern Railroad in the early 1900s as a real estate attorney, uh, had quite a few kids and needed to make some extra money. So he got into developing um, in North Seattle and built apartments and houses. And that went on from 1909 up until in the 40s. And that's when Cecil our grandfather got into the business after World War II, and then that evolved into where we are today. Gotcha. Okay. And so really uh, kind of fast forwarding, you said you guys kind of got into to college and were building the houses and that was a way to get through college. And then what happened then? Did you guys go just right into the business or uh, did you take some other paths first or how did that shake out? Well, I certainly, maybe I was first. So I, I uh, graduated from college and decided that the one thing I did not want to do based on my experience scrapping lots and cleaning out houses <laughs> was to become a builder. So I definitely looked for some other opportunities uh, early on, but within about a year, um, dad asked me to do a, a market study for him for a retirement community that we were thinking of building. And since I had already done some market research work for another firm in the area right out of uh, right out of school, that seemed like a good fit for me. And that's kind of how I got introduced back into the business by doing that market study. And from there, graduated into building spec houses over the next year or so. 
and then Brooks came in um, about four years later, five years later, and uh, jumped right into the business. Yeah, and I just jumped right in as Wes hired me as a construction superintendent, building houses, running jobs. So that was, so I just, when I graduated, I was already married. So I just jumped right in and started working um, right in the business. And then two years later, we hired on our youngest brother, Todd, and then he came in and started doing the construction supervision work that Brooks was doing. And Brooks started taking over things around marketing in those areas. I was in charge of finding lots and coming up with the permits and working on the financing. And um, so we kind of split up those duties and that worked pretty well. So at this point, you've got, you know, the three of you as brothers in the business and you're all working with your dad, uh, Monty. And so I'm always interested in how this kind of all shook out. You said, yeah, we kind of just split the stuff up, you know, and um, was it just that easy or did you think through like, oh, yeah, you're going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing this. That's where our strengths are or kind of uh, just evolved naturally. How did that work out? (laughs) The answer would be yes. And no. So. it was not a it was not a well thought out plan. I think when Brooks joined me, I was desperate to have somebody take over the construction process because at that point I was doing that doing that entire process. Um, our dad was pretty busy with his building a retirement community at that time, and so we really were building doing spec houses on our own. It was just the first me and then it was me and Brooks and then it was Brooks, me and Todd. So anyway, I, I was, I don't know if you've ever read the book E-Myth, but it's that idea in the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. They start off with a story about uh, a company that's just one person and then, you know, they get super, super busy and then they go, oh my goodness, I need someone to do the books. Oh good, here, you do the books. And then they abdicate all responsibility to that person and then they go off and do um, what they're going to do. So that's kind of what we did. I mean, I'm, I, Brooks walked in the door and I probably threw a pile of permits and plans at him and said, have fun, you know, go build these seven houses and uh, I'm going to go look for some more lots. These seven houses were actually nine houses and they were all it actually nine. It was nine. <laughs> Yeah, so it was well, nine houses. Here's nine customers, and uh, oh, and here's a spec sheet that's really not so detailed. So no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, but I think we kind of learned from that. So we started developing some systems, and oh, let's put together a spec sheet for the houses, so we understand what we're building, and that can actually move from one person to another, and that knowledge can be transferred. And so we started to, to put some of those systems in place. Yeah. And so uh, I guess as you're going down this path, you kind of just got thrown into it. And it sounds like that was kind of the general approach initially. And it's just kind of trial by fire. Um, Since your dad was busy kind of doing a new initiative, it was kind of like, hey, you guys got to take this and run with it. I'm kind of curious, I guess, did, um, was it all specs at the time or any remodeling or were you building communities or um, what was kind of the state of the business and what you guys were focused on for product? Brooks, do you want to handle that one? Sure. Yeah, we were doing all, and the term specs is refers to speculative home building. Um, and so it's shortened to spec, spec home building. And so we were doing all speculative home building. We would acquire the lots, get the permits, pick the plans, and deliver the finished product. And when that house was done, it would, would get on the market. We might um, sell them before they were done. 
and uh, make a few modifications, but it was all single family detached construction in the suburban market around the Seattle metro area. And uh, it was just, we were, Wes mentioned getting permits. And, and so we would be getting permits for 50 houses a year. And, and permits seem like such a hard thing to get. You know, it might take a month to get a permit or something. When, when I, Todd and I exited the business, um, it was taking a year and a half to get a building permit. And uh, wow. so we're not, we're not going to get into the housing shortage questions, which would be more political, but um, it's a, it was an entirely different business when we exited than when Wes and I came into it, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And um, I think that was really a large driver of, of cost in the Seattle area, for sure, uh, was regulation. I think just in the time that I was getting permits, it went to seven months or eight months in the city of Seattle. One of the things that complicated our process, maybe more than for some other smaller builders, because we're definitely a small builder. Uh, we built anywhere from, our goal was to build 36 houses a year. We wanted to do three starts a month. And I think at one point we were over 50 um, in a year. And then other years we might be down more in the 24 to, to 30 range, depending on the on the market. But one thing that did complicate our process is that we worked in a lot of different jurisdictions. So we were dealing with, I don't know, four or five, six jurisdictions. So they all had their own regulations, their own permitting process and so on. So that that added a special spice to the whole thing. Well, and the, for context for folks is that uh, in some states, uh, they don't require building permits. Yeah. So it's so if I have builder friends across the country and they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I went down and got a permit today. And I'm, you know, my jaw drops and I'm like, well, <laughs> that's an 18 month process in in some of our jurisdictions. And so yeah, yeah. did you apply for that permit 18 months ago so you could pick it up today? Or did you just, you know, walk down there? Yeah, some places you don't even need a permit. So you, uh, uh, so it's just, you know, it's interesting. It's different across the country. Yeah. Yeah. So as you guys were kind of, uh, you're doing a lot of this, the spec building. And so at this point, you know, you two are in the business. Uh, Todd, your younger brother is in the business. Um, what were some of the, I guess, more challenging components of working with um, your siblings and then maybe on the flip side too, like what are the, some of the most rewarding parts? Cause I know like I'm talking to a lot of construction companies every week these days. And so many of them are family business, whether it's, you know, um, parents bringing in like, uh, a, you know, a child into the business or there are, you know, siblings, oftentimes brothers who co-own the business, uh, different dynamics like that. So, um, maybe talk about some of those early challenges. Cause I know, those shifted and you kind of work through some things over time and you figure things out, but kind of those first several years of working together, um, what did you guys kind of un uncover there? Boy, Brooks, do you got, you want to lead off with anything or? I, I from, you know, having obviously the ability to look back at it, it's a good question, Spencer, that the, um, you know, having the maturity at certain points in your life, sometimes you wish, oh, I wish I had been more mature or had more education around certain things, around um, personality profiles or uh, around just general business. So I came right, in, for me, I came right into the business right out of school with a, a business degree. Um, but my business experience was very little and I had never worked for anybody else. Um, 
So probably out of that experience, I would recommend it doesn't hurt to have, if you think you're laying a path down for uh, having your kids come into the business, you know, having them go work somewhere else for someone who's not a sibling or a parent is probably a very good thing. So now I was the second one into the business. So Wes might have a different perspective or Todd might have a different perspective or our sister Heidi might have a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And we might, might mention that at different times, our sister Heidi definitely was involved in the business and worked in the business. And even our sister Lori at times uh, worked in it. And this we're talking about when we're really ramped up and, and building and uh, doing different projects. So, but I would, uh, I guess I would, I guess I would agree with that. Just, it's always good to have an outside look at how other businesses operate and how reporting structures might work. I think we were blessed in that the three of us got along really, really well. So there, we didn't have any knockdown, drag out fights. There wasn't a lot of personality conflicts, but I think the idea of thinking about personality types is a good one that Brooks uh, brings up. You know, you can do disc profiles and things like that, but just knowing whether someone is a hard charger or someone is a uh, more of a, a people pleaser, you know, what you know, is someone really, uh, really good at detail or are they not really good at detail? So it takes you a while if you don't know any of those things to figure out because the reason you're in the business is because your family, right? That's how you got into the business. It wasn't because, oh, yeah, I just, you know, I met this great guy, Brooks or Todd or Wes, you know, and, and they're perfect fit for the business. You know, they have all this background. We did have background. We understood the business. We had all built houses before we actually started doing it in earnest. But but to understand that you are basically trying to take people that are there because they're family members and put them into the right boxes. So trying to figure out first, what are the boxes? And then what's the right box for that person to be in? That takes a little while. I mean, Brooks, would you say based on you and Todd, you know, in terms of running a job or being a construction supervisor, so if you don't mind sharing, what's your what's your personality profile? Oh, I'm in the disc profile, so I'm yeah. a high D. So. You're a high D, so very dominant, dominant. Uh, charger, let's make decisions, let's move on. Um, you know, at that time, I was very much a, a high I, which would be more of a, uh, a people person, you know, people pleaser sort of thing, you know, wants everyone to get along, kumbaya. And then Todd is very detail-oriented. He'd be a high C, uh, very list-oriented. So Brooks started off in construction, I mean, and actually supervising because that's where I needed him. But, you know, that wasn't his best spot. You know, he was really good at seeing vision and looking out in the future and where do we want to be and what's going on with trends and let's make some decisions. And where Todd was a very, very good construction supervisor. And that's where we ultimately ended up. Right. Yeah. But it was took trial and error. It took longer than it probably needed to. Um, yeah. Just because we were aware. where the market is and where the business is and where the economy is. And you know, the whole time you're trying to, you know, you're you're trying to build the plane while you're flying it and you're sitting here going, okay, well, the market's up, it's down, and you're trying to keep cash flow going and 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 uh, so it's it's a it was an, it's interesting. That, you know, that's an interesting point, Brooks, because if you think about the other factor, which is what's going on with the economy, what's going on with the marketplace, 
while you're trying to figure out a business at the same time. So your background is always changing. Right. So I, I think that's, I think most business owners who are new to the business or, you know, fresh out of school or fresh into business. I, I think Brooks talks to these guys all the time, guys and, and ladies who have businesses uh, in the remodeling space who maybe have never seen a downturn. You know, so they don't know. You don't, they don't know what they don't know. And if you think you are super smart because everything just happens magically and it works great and everything sells, uh, you're in for a rude awakening at some point. Yeah, no, I think that's the, you know, we've been in, you know, a 10 year, a 10 year cycle. So it's been mm-hmm. pretty phenomenal. Um, and, you know, it's, you, the older you are, the more ups and downs you've seen, which then can make you less willing to take advantage of ups which it can yeah. be a shortcoming. Um, but sometimes when you've just started and you've only seen one part of the cycle, um, then it makes it, it'll be, make it more challenging when, as the economy moves up and down. And uh, so as we've seen, it, it's very similar to in the 60s. Um, you know, we had almost a 10 year cycle until 70 where everything was up, 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 up after World War II. And then when it was very volatile from 70 until 80, 84, 85, and uh, then it was you know vol- very volatile up and down every two or three years, and then uh, again in the mid 90s till we, and then it was a, a big push up. So it does make it challenging when you're trying to grow your business, expand your business, and you're basing it on well, I did a million dollars worth of revenue this year, I'm going to 1.5 next year, and then I'm going to you know three times that, and it's grow, grow, grow. While that happens, you know the economy goes up and down, and you, well, I'm doing a million, then I'm doing a million five, now I'm doing a million two, then I'm doing up, down, up, down. So that's, it's an, and you're doing that while you're operating a business that has family members in it. Right. And I think there's nothing wrong with setting goals. I think that's important, you know, to set your goals and work towards those. But I think with time you realize, okay, I'm setting these goals. Chris, I guess an example would be, for a while, Brooks and Todd and I, we would we would say, okay, we have found we have found the silver bullet. You know, we're going to build exactly thirty six houses a year, and we're going to build exactly these three or four floor plans because these are the perfect floor plans, and we're going to do that forever until we retire. You know, so this is the <laughs> naivete of of guys in their twenties who don't know anything. So, and we we're in a you know pretty it was an okay market and we were able to do that. But uh, then one day, you know, it just, Oh, I guess, I guess someone shut off the spigot and, you know, we're not doing 36 houses a year or 50 houses a year. Uh, And, you know, market changes and you're doing 24 houses or 20 and then you have to adjust to that. So I think, I think if most, if I had to give any advice, I guess it would be, if I was just going back into the construction business, starting out my twenties again, full time doing that, I would definitely latch onto an older mentor around that. And sometimes that could be a non-family member. I would say because, you know, certainly we had our our dad there, um, who, if we were interested in listening, uh, you know, we might have gotten some good advice from. But he was pretty involved with the new projects that he was doing, and he kind of left us to our own devices, uh, for the most part. And so, you know, and you know how it is, you know, not so interested in listening to your dad all that much, but you can get a lot of good advice 
or, you know, we could have gone, gone and asked our grandfather, you know, he was certainly around and retired and, and could have added some good insight if we thought to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a two way street. If they thought, if you, we thought to ask and they thought to offer. So well, I think that's true. That, <laughs> uh, the, uh, to your point, Wes, which is, you know, getting advice from people who've been through the mill is super valuable. And that's where industry associations are great, where people are, that are willing to, are very willing to give back and say, Hey, I just got put through the grinder on this and it was a key part of my growth cycle. Glad to share that with you. You know, and, and, and people freely give that information if you just ask. Um, and now with the advent of being able to communicate through podcasts and a lot of these other avenues, it's so much quicker to get information, to find information specifically. Yeah, and I, I want to jump back to an earlier point we were talking about um, kind of the personality types with the th- you three brothers. And then you said you brought up DISC and you kind of started going through that. I'm curious just for, for people listening that maybe haven't done that test or they are working with family right now, you know, it sounds like to some degree you kind of um, just had a, a working mix. You know, you guys all worked well together and you didn't have a lot of fights or disagreements. Uh, you all were different on the disc profile. So that maybe was a part of it, but I was curious too, do you feel like it was a more due to that? Like you just had the benefit of different personalities that ended up working together or was it like a common goal and you guys like that was just the most important you were all working towards the same thing or um and then kind of recommendations for people like is it worth doing the disc and trying to to do that early on versus just kind of winging it at the beginning looking you know looking back you guys have um talked about how you you know after you look back you go oh yeah maybe i would have changed a few things oh yeah i would have changed a lot of things (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) That's 2020 hindsight. Uh, yeah. Well, it is 2020. So it is 2020. So we got that nail. Uh, <laughs> that should be the name of the podcast, you know. That's right. Hindsight. It's not too late to rename yeah. it. We're only on episode one. So <laughs> I would, I would, my thought would be uh, treating your business like a business it, it is a key thing. And uh, having had no exposure to, a business having started out that's probably my one of my bigger takeaways is that you can sell build do anything but it's still a business and then what are those key factors and i think going back to uh, building job descriptions building profiles for what's the best pro personality profile for this description and using that as a guide to help you try to hire you know someone very close to that personality profile for that description is is very helpful so you don't end up with you know, the wrong just the absolutely wrong person in because sometimes you're just trying to plug a hole which is i need somebody in this spot because i'm dying um, but with a little extra effort you can actually hire that right yeah, i think that's true and i think another part of it would be setting setting goals for the business first thing of it is a business it is a business so it's a, a means to an end in some ways, sometimes the process itself can be the end for some people because they enjoy the process. But what ultimately do you want that business to become? What is it trying to fulfill as a business? And because you might have radically different opinions about that. So in the case of Brooks and Todd and myself, we never actually sat down and talked about 
oh, what's the ultimate goal of the business? I think we all said, oh, well, we want to make enough money to retire someday and, you know, those types of things. But we didn't, we didn't really sit down and talk about any of those things. We just talked about, we want to build this many houses next year. That, that was the, that was the sum total. So I think, you know, what's the goal of the business? How do we want to be structured? What are the job descriptions? What do I need? You know, what does that org chart look like? What are the types of people that would go in the org chart, as Brooks was talking about? And what are the best disk profiles for the people in that? But I think all the people within the business, especially it's a family business, is you really need to, everyone has a different dynamic growing up. So either they got along as kids or they didn't get along, you know, maybe they fought like cats and dogs or they didn't. And you have to be able to separate yourself from those types of things. You know, for me, I looked at the family business, a great way to spend time with my brothers. So, you know, that is probably maybe my viewpoint was a little bit different than Brooks and Todd's, but like, Oh, this is fun because I'm working with my brothers. Um, and I think they probably felt the same way, but we didn't take it a step further and go, okay, well, is that the, the total goal? Do we have any other goals? That we want to try to accomplish. Yeah, I don't think Spencer. You know, there was, um, you know, a lot of introspection. You know, in the first ten years, it's like, you know, what we're trying to make a living. We're trying to grow this business, and uh, you know, you've got growing families, and you've got financial needs. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things in the mix, um, and probably introspection and deep thinking at that moment were not. There wasn't a lot of that happening. Um, so yeah, that's one of those things I, I always suggest is, Hey, you know, sit down and think about it. Um, because that's something that I could have definitely done a better job of is, you know, thought more deeply about the business. Yeah. And I would bet there's a lot of remodelers and builders out there. You get in fairly young and, and you immediately, you know, you, you're married, you have kids, you've got other responsibilities that are new to you. And so all of those things kind of crashing down at the same time can make it very difficult to be very introspective or take a step outside of what's going on for even a half a beat, you know, for a, a weekend or something and think about that. But it'd be super valuable to do it. Yeah, you're you're busy making payroll, you're you're you've got kids, you're running kids to baseball and basketball, and you're you know, maybe you're coaching and you're running your business and and getting that time away. Uh, you know, even if it's a few weekends a year to try to get your head together and, and think about the business and if you're involved with it with your family or your spouse or you're just doing it by yourself it's it's that time to think about it is important yeah no no that's one thing that i've picked up from you guys too is just you know if you if you do take a little bit of time to just think about where you're going or what you want it to be you know, 10 years just goes like that, you know, and so if you're just kind of caught up in the the whirlwind, um, as they say, of the business, and you're just going, 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 and then you look up and you're going, okay, you know, it's been a decade, or it's been, you know, this amount of time. And so um, I think that's good advice, you know, for, for any stage of the business that you're at, but especially, you know, when you're early on and trying to set yourself up for the future, because all of a sudden it becomes the future. I'm going to give you a little, well, actually a big piece of insight that most construction companies don't even realize. Nearly all of the problems you encounter in your projects and business have one thing in common, communication or lack thereof. 
Think about the last time a project went sideways. I'm guessing if you traced it back to its source, it had something to do with a miss or miscommunication. In fact, 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to poor communication during projects. Needless to say, good communication needs to be a priority in your business. And that's especially true with everything that's happening around us today. BuildBook has created a simple solution that makes communicating with your clients and team incredibly easy so nothing slips through the cracks. And as a reminder, they've also made it 100% free for you to use during this uncertain climate we're currently in. So hit pause right now and text BuildBook, one word, to 33777 and they'll send you a link to sign up. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's let's jump back quickly to a little bit of the history and just continuing forward to current. So I think when we left off, like the three brothers are in the business. You guys are building homes. You've got this, you know, 36 homes a year is the perfect, you know, formula. Um, what happened after that? Uh, and kind of did you guys just continue working together forever or, you know, how did that go? Oh, is that going to be me, Brooks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dramatic pause for effect. Dramatic, yeah. Pause yeah. For effect. Nailed it. Yeah, that was, I'm yeah. looking at my script and you, awesome. like, you yeah. hit it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, no, obviously it, it didn't continue on forever in that because nothing continues forever. So probably in about 90, in the mid 90s, probably, um, we hit a, we hit a downturn. I don't know, Brooks, when was that downturn? 94 or something? It was 94 to 96 and we've been going, you know, we've been charging pretty hard for 10 years. We've been through, we've been through one, one mini slowdown and then it got a little bit better. And then it, you know, then we took a big downturn in 94, 95 that lasted about five years. Yeah. So I, th- I think at that point in 96, I received an offer from my father-in-law in Colorado to come buy his business, which was totally different. And I think probably, early midlife crisis or something of going, okay, you know, the kids are small and a new opportunity, something different uh, for me to challenge myself with. And I think I was also pretty worn down with the the poor market and, you know, we were stretched and, um, and we can talk about leverage some other day, you know, (laughs) when I talk about leverage, (laughs) that's a, that's a subject for an entire podcast, right? So uh, I took, I took them up on that opportunity and, Moved the family to Colorado to buy that business, which ultimately morphed into uh, Builder Phone, which is is Spencer's business at this point. So, uh, so that that's how I exited the business. But then Brooks, you can probably talk about what. Yeah, so that I mean, Wes's exit obviously created an opportunity for me to you know run the single family division, and we were also doing development to build another senior community. So. Um, at that point, I got the opportunity to, to finish the development on that, build that community while we we're building um, single family. And that my moving in that space of doing both those things gave room for Todd to, um, uh, you know, take on more responsibility in the single family side and also create an opportunity for our sister who came into the business and ran all the marketing for one of the senior communities and then set up all the operations for one, the new senior community that we built in, you know, from 97 to 2001. Um, and that continued on till 2002, 2003. And then Todd and I, at that point, uh, were ready to move out on our own in the construction business. So we bought the construction company from our parents 
and uh, our sister continued on. We, at that point, have set up a property management company to manage the properties that we built over the last 20 years. And she ran that for a couple more years. And then she eventually exited the business um, and to start her own business. And, uh, and then at that point, you know, we are all combined with some common ownerships of properties, uh, but don't actually work in the same businesses anymore. Uh, Todd and I stayed, uh, stayed partners and still are partners now in the, in the construction industry and in a construction business. And that, so that's how it, it's you know evolved to today to to now. Gotcha. So basically, at that time, that was kind of the the split off where you had there was a property management company that was managing some apartment buildings and the retirement communities, and then you guys took the construction business and ran with that. Right. Is that kind of okay? Yeah, that's it. So our sister stayed on with the property management business that our our father owns, and uh, and then she uh, after a few years left to to pursue her own business. And um, so we all live in the same town. You know, we live in the same small town in, outside Seattle. So uh, the Powell name, you know, is pretty well known since it's been around for 110 years. Um, so it's just, we're involved in, you know, construction and apartment management, senior management, um, just in our, in our small market. Yeah. And so um, just to, to round us out to current, so Wes, you came, you bought uh, the direct mail business and then kind of, you know, take us from there and, and we'll get caught up to, oh, to sure. twenty to 2020. Yeah. yeah. So in 86 came out to Colorado, bought this uh, direct mail processing business, which is totally different than building. And once again, though, uh, it was a family business. So I guess, I'm an expert or non-expert in family businesses. That's all I've ever had experience with, honestly. So I uh, bought that business and then operated that until the downturn in direct mail, which really happened in during the Great Recession, as we call it. And really, media changed quite a bit. So at that point, uh, Spence, and you, know, you could probably tell this part of the story yourself, but I mean, essentially, you came out of college. Uh, you were starting your own social media company. And at that point, we said, hey, let's partner up on this. Uh, let's give this new company some support uh, so it can continue to, to grow and figure out what it is. Because really, internet marketing was pretty new at that period of time, explosive growth around that industry. And so you really nurtured that business along. And then we finally sold off the direct mail portion of the business. And now you've changed and rebranded the, the uh, inbound marketing services that we offered into Builder Funnel Radio, really because we discovered that we are totally focusing on builders and remodelers and helping them with their marketing because that was the space that we're very, very familiar with, um, both from a family business dynamic and from a marketing standpoint. So that kind of brings us up to current, current state, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it, it was interesting when you were talking about uh, when you got out of school, you kind of said, hey, I've been, you know, scrapping lots and doing all this stuff. I don't want to be involved in that business. So yeah. you went another route, but then that route pulled you back in, you know, uh, through a kind of a different project, right? It was doing the market study for the retirement community. And uh, as you were saying that, I'm going, that's exactly what happened to me. Cause I'm like, I stuffed a lot of envelopes growing up and I <laughs> don't really care about direct mail. I don't think I want to be involved with this business. Uh, and then got into social media and then it was like, 
hey, I've got to transform this business with a new, you know, kind of we called it a disruptive business within the legacy business. And uh, and that's where that took off. So uh, interesting to see that parallel. Uh, we might be related or something. But uh, and then Brooks, obviously, yeah. you you didn't scrap enough lots. So you're like, yep, give me more of that. Like I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> I, uh, to the point, though, I mean. And, and I'd love to, you know, we should probably talk about transformation in businesses at some point because Brooks and Todd certainly transformed their business through the Great Recession from a spec business and, he, you know, to, to something different, but still within the construction space. So, which I thought was fascinating to watch them do that transformation and, and do it so well. So I, I, you know, I think that's, a, that's an interesting topic in and of itself. Yeah. And maybe Brooks, you can, you know, continue and get, get your side of the story up to current and that, and maybe touch on that transformation. We'll definitely dig into that in some, some later episodes. Sure. So what we, after uh, Todd and I bought the construction business in Oak two, uh, we were rolling along, you know, economy was, it was super hot and um, we were, uh, we could do no wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can still distinctly remember it was September, 2008. I was out at, looking at a couple of finished spec houses and, uh, I got a call on my phone that said, Oh, um, you know, the stock market is just unwound over subprime. And I had no idea what subprime was. And, um, little did I know that my business would be so heavily affected by what wall street was doing and something that I had even no idea what was going on. And um, so we, our business quickly went from building, you know, 30, 40 houses a year to building, we went from 30, 40 houses a year in 2008 to three houses in 2011. Wow. So, I mean, business just, you know, was gone. And every builder in, in the speculative building space, that, that's what happened. So I'm, there was tens of thousands of us that went through that. So we had to reinvent our business. And so that's where we added custom homes. We added remodeling, you know, so we blasted into the remodeling space as quick as we could um, and learned how to become remodelers. And that's where we, you took the idea of businesses and you know, how do you set up a business? And like, well, we know how to build. So how, you know, how are we going to learn how to be great remodelers? And so that was our next task for the next 10 years till, uh, last year. And so that's where we ended up. We ended up as speculative home builders, custom home builders, and remodelers. Yeah. And that's how we ended, uh, you know, ended the business. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting, both of those journeys that you guys were on, you know, when the tough times hit, uh, you acted fast, you know, and I, I can't speak as much to how fast you moved into remodeling Brooks, but I know Wes, I remember distinctly, you said, I just went to this conference. They said direct mail is going off a cliff. Like we got to get into some new things. And you like within 20 days or 30 days had already rebranded the company. We're pushing into those new things. And like, didn't really know what you're doing, but I think, you know, fast action. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but I think, you know, you watched a lot of guys go out of business, you know, in that industry and whereas you did not. And so, um, and I'm sure the same for you, Brooks, you know, and so uh, to me, my takeaway was, you know, when, those things happen, like quickly kind of pop your head up, look around and say, okay, where can I just start taking new action? Because the same action isn't working. Um, but I don't know. I'd be interested to hear if you guys like 
went through that thought process. That was kind of my view looking back at it. But, you know, what was kind of what was the mindset as you guys got hit with that uh, great recession? I think for, for in the construction business, I mean, we tried, you know, different things the whole time. So we went from, you know, building 30 houses a year to three over the course of three years. And the every every month you're trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing? Because it is because now it's like, oh, the Great Recession of 2008. Well, it went on and on and on. Um, you know, month after month of just getting worse and worse and worse. So you're, you know, it's this kind of it's this triage. You're like, okay, I've got it fixed. And then three months later, oh, I don't have it fixed. And the whole time you're going along, you're like, well, I'm trying to keep my business going. I'm still buying lots. You're like, okay, well, this is the right kind of product. You know, and then as the market continues to fall, you're like, oh, it's not the right kind of product. Um, and then you still have to unload it. And there's no consumers because there's no financing. So it's one of those situations where people think, oh, well, there'll always be, you know, plentiful mortgages. I mean, there was no mortgages for 24 months. And so it's, it kind of goes back to the 30s when some, well, why are you worried about banks failing? You're like, well, you know, banks haven't failed for 50 years. And, uh, but someone who went through that in the 30s is like, well, they do fail. And so it's the, a similar thing that's where that perspective is helpful as you're trying to move through your business journey is hearing about other things that can't happen. So we were reacted, 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 um, and we're constantly trying to come up with a plan. Um, and it just, you know, it wasn't working. I mean, it wouldn't work. We try this, it wouldn't work. We try this, we wouldn't work. Um, and luckily we had plenty of reserves built up that we were able to, we had some room but it was it was a scramble all the way until it really kind of bottomed out in 11 and then started to come back up so really the economy recovering allowed us to recover it wasn't anything that we were you know we were still in business so it allowed us to to take advantage of that but you know the whole economy and the whole country had to recover and then we came along with it i think that with what i heard you say though bricks I think it's an important point is, and it ties into what Spencer just said, which is, you know, taking action. So even though it was difficult, I think just being iterative in what you're trying. So you're experimenting, you're trying things, things don't work. You're going to try something else and you're trying to experiment as fast as you can to, to get to a new model. And I think that's a good, that's a good, uh, mind exercise to play, you know, with your business, which is, okay, well, if this happened, how would I iterate? What would I change to? And, you know, for us in our business, really, whereas building came back, uh, the direct mail industry, the way we had known it certainly uh, went through structural destruction and transformation. And so most small, smaller shops never came back. Uh, printers didn't come back in the same way. And so the whole industry changed. And so you had to iterate pretty quickly to figure out what your new thing is going to be. How can you provide a, a valuable service that people want to want to buy? Um, and so that's what we we tried to do. But that's what you were doing as well, I think. And it, it was just probably... So if you're in a business that has hard, tangible assets that 
you have to deal with. So if you're in the building business, you got lots and you've got finished product. And so as Brooks was saying, hey, man, if that finished product isn't right, I still have to sell it, you know, so I can go on and experiment again with something else. Uh, so that makes it makes it harder. So I think that's something that uh, business owners have to look at, which is how much capital do I have invested in in assets that are illiquid and how quickly can I experiment to get to a, a new business model? So, you know, in our case, we had lots of equipment sitting around in a shop. You know, we had big inserting machines and folders and all those types of things. Um, whereas today, a lot of internet businesses don't have much in terms of uh, hard assets that they have to worry about. So they can probably iterate a little bit faster. So their hard assets are really around personnel and, and thought leadership and, and their employees and what those employees can bring to the table. And, um, so I don't know if it's easier because things are moving even faster. It's not, I doubt it's any easier, but not easier. Uh, certainly something to think about if, if you're, if you're remodeling business changed dramatically, what would you do? How are you situated? Do you have a strong balance sheet? Yeah, I think, uh, I think those are good takeaways and kind of now that we're here in 2020, we've been kind of, we're, into a deep, you know, run, what would be maybe some final takeaways from you guys before we wrap for today as, you know, um, I know you mentioned, you know, Brooks, that you, you guys had some reserves and you had put some things in place. So you were able to basically work your way through some difficulties, you know, what would be the top, you know, one, two, you know, three things for people to put in place now and over the next, you know, 12 months, 24 months, however long we have left or um, before something will change, you know? Yeah. It's the, it was interesting. I was going through some files the other day as I was uh, cleaning out some things. And um, the biggest thing that one of the things I said, Oh, we had in reserves when we went into the recession, we had um, 24 months of operating reserves. And we had just worked really diligently because we had asked lots of questions of, of older people. You know, we've pulled our CPA, our other financial people. Hey, how much should we have in reserves? And, you know, the standard number is three to six months of operating reserves so you can run your company. And we were like, you know, we're in a highly speculative business. So we had built up, you know, two years of reserves. And it we went, you know, even though as we downsized and things like that, we went through all of that and more. So my biggest takeaway is, you know, build a balance sheet, build your cash reserves, give yourself time because that, that's, and so that's the key thing. So if you've got cash, you can survive anything. And that's the hardest thing to do when you're in building business, you're in the remodeling business, cash is always in short supply. So it, manage your balance sheet, manage your accounts receivable, collect, do not do free work, get paid for everything you do have your right markup, your right margin. Um, and if you do those things, you'll, you'll survive anything. Yeah, I, that's really good advice, Brooks. I think as, as you were saying that, I was thinking about how long it took us to transform from direct mail to inbound marketing, you know, work through that transition. And it was easily 36, 48 months, probably, you know, from start to start. finish. Yeah. And even if you do make adjustments, you know, in your business as you go on to do that, you do have to have a strong balance sheet. Yeah, that's certainly one thing that our, our father has always preached is have a super strong uh, balance sheet. You know, he has a friend who's a banker who said, have a fortress 
<laughs> fortress balance sheet, right? Yep. Because you have to sometimes you have to crawl inside that fortress and and protect yourself. And if you've been through enough cycles, you know that cycles end. You know the low point ends, and so you have to be there to take advantage of the upswing. If you're not there because you didn't make it, you can't do anything. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, build the fortress. And I know that was something that, uh, you know, Wes, you and and um, my mom, Karen, you know, you guys instilled, you know, budgeting, you know, into and saving, you know, uh, from a young age. And so I think you guys made us save half of everything we earned or half of our allowance. So we had like a whole $2 left over to go spend ourselves, you know, but, uh, you know, but that was good because then, you know, that, that set, uh, set us up well, you know, when we got into college and wanted to start, you know, doing some things and, you know, you start spending money and it starts going out, um, you know, then you've, you've built that mentality. And so I think for a lot of people listening to you, you know, as I've entered the business world, I've really looked at that on, you know, try to look at it on both fronts, you know, like build, build the fortress personally and within the business. And then, then you've kind of got um, both of those things working for you. And um, yeah, I think to you, to your guys benefit, you know, because you built that, you know, you probably watched a lot of people that weren't able to weather that storm uh, because they didn't have enough in reserves and had to either go out and, and start again fresh or that, that was just kind of the finish line. So I think it's, very timely advice for everyone listening now. Like nobody has the crystal ball, but um, you know, we're all kind of sitting here wondering, I think um, like what the timeline looks like. Um, So we're going to wrap here and, and next episode, I know we're going to dig into a little more specifics around the like family dynamics and relationships and working with siblings or parents and and that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, joining me today. Hopefully everyone listening got to, had some fun with the history and we'll, we'll try to pull out some fun stories for everyone, but uh, you guys got anything before we, we wrap. No, appreciate the time. Yeah, I really do. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again for, for listening everybody. We'll see you next week for episode two. And uh, thanks again for tuning in to builder funnel radio. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the first ever episode of building a family business with Wes and Brooks. Uh, Again, I like to do takeaways. I think it's helpful to summarize and give you guys some action items. So I'm going to continue to do that for each of these episodes. So from this one, we talked about a lot. There was a lot of history. Uh, We wanted to basically introduce you guys to to some of the family and how the the dynamics work. But I think a few things really stood out to me. And one was uh, really that concept of building your fortress and your cash reserves. You know, we don't know if and when a recession will hit, but we do know we're really deep into a strong economy. And so having that fortress built, building up your cash reserves, you know, taking that operating expenses number that you have on a monthly basis and multiplying that out three, six, 12 months, uh, or even more, I think is, is huge and just puts you in a, a very stable position moving forward. Um, then another takeaway was really thinking through why you're hiring for a specific spot in the business. And so not necessarily just bringing in um, bodies to fill those slots, but really being intentional about that and having a good process for it and thinking, what are the skills that this position requires? Can I find somebody that has those skills and being intentional? And especially when it comes to family, thinking about, okay, 
sure, maybe I'm just pulling them in and I need to put them in a spot, but thinking, okay, this may be a spot that they're in for a while and then they're going to rotate through the business so they can learn. But I think a lot of times just the, the real takeaway is being intentional about filling these spots and having some reasons for doing them, even if it's not the perfect scenario, but it's better than just throwing people into different spots. And then the last takeaway was really um, something that was brought up there in the middle, which was learning from others, whether that's mentors or uh, peers in the business. But, um, you know, we've all made tons of mistakes. And so if you can learn from other people's mistakes and uh, shortcut kind of your success, I think that that is super impactful. And, um, you know, obviously, we're all going to continue to make our own mistakes. But if we can avoid a few here and there, I think that's a good thing. So those are my three big takeaways from episode one. Again, you guys were super excited for this show. Um, Definitely give us feedback. If there are topics you want to hear about, um, we'd love to to have those uh, sent in. Um, So go ahead and send those in. And go ahead and send them to radio at builderfunnel.com. And again, put family in all caps in the subject line that helps us flag down those questions. And we'll be able to uh, bring up those topics in some future episodes. So thanks again, guys. And we will see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. Radio.